Let's begin by playing a quick game of word association. I'm going to give you a word, and I want you to think about what images and emotions it conjures up in you. The word is evangelism. What do you associate with the word evangelism? Now, it may well be that you're sat there thinking, evangel what? This is a real Christian jargon word. It's a long word, and we don't use it very much in any other context. Maybe your initial reaction to it is confusion, because you don't know what it means. Evangelism is taken from the root Greek word evangel, which means good news or gospel To evangelize is to pass on or declare good news to someone who does not know it yet. In Christian terms, to evangelize is to speak about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. He came into the world to give his life as a sacrifice. He died on the cross to save us from our sins. He rose again to bring us eternal life. He is Lord of all, and one day he is coming back to put all things right. To excitedly declare these great truths to another person is the act of evangelism. So now you know what the word means. How does it make you feel? What does it make you think of. For some of us, it will bring back very good memories of the people who passed the faith onto us. I personally came to faith age 15, while an evangelist was preaching at a town centre youth event. Prior to that, I was evangelised by my parents and my grandparents. And I'm very grateful for those people who had the courage to openly speak to me about Jesus. They passed on to me the very best thing that I have. However, for others of us, the word evangelism will have a very different connotation. Some of us will hear that word and be filled with anxiety. We'll be picturing street preachers with megaphones and sandwich boards. We'll be thinking of people knocking on doors or approaching strangers in the village square with leaflets. Perhaps we're remembering our own feeble attempts to share our faith with colleagues at work and stumbling over the words and not getting very far and giving up rather quickly. It may surprise you to hear even though I have very good experiences of evangelists talking to me, that is the reaction I have when I hear this word. I feel anxious. On Christmas Eve, I was driving round Isla delivering Christmas dinners to people who were on their own. And I find knocking on people's doors a real struggle. And that was when I was just giving out food. I wasn't saying anything. And I spent four years working on building sites. I know how hard it is to share your faith in those settings. 
Let me tell you, it is much, much easier to be the minister of a church. When you're a minister, people expect you to talk about Jesus. The opportunities naturally arise. And that is not the case for many of you. So I wonder, as you listen to this, whether any of you share my insecurities when you hear this word, evangelism. Well, don't be embarrassed, for here is some good news. Sharing our faith doesn't have to be anxiety-producing. And the key is realising that we're not all called to be Billy Graham or Wesley or Spurgeon, the greats of the Christian faith. We are called to be ourselves. We are called to live out our faith in surprisingly simple ways. I would like us to have a brief look at what the Bible says about evangelism and evangelists. For I think the anxious among us will find it quite releasing. Let me read again what Peter and Paul wrote as they encouraged local churches like ours to share their faith. First, that reading from Colossians 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God will open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Then 1 Peter. In your hearts, Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. What I would like us to see is that in those two passages, there is a two-pronged approach to evangelism that is assumed. First of all, Paul clearly seems to think that there are certain people in the church who are gifted evangelists. In that passage, he firmly puts himself in that category. Gifted evangelists can be based in a local setting or they can travel from place to place. They might be church leaders or they might be particular members within those churches. Anyone who has been around church for any length of time will know that there are some people who just very naturally and very boldly speak about Jesus. In that passage from Colossians, Paul asked the local church to pray for these evangelists. They are to pray that God will open the door for their message. They are to pray for clarity that the evangelists will be able to proclaim the message of Jesus clearly. And all of this still applies to us as a church today. We are to identify those in our church who are good at speaking about Jesus and pray for them. Although I don't consider myself a natural evangelist, I hope you'll pray for me as I conduct funerals and do school assemblies and get invited to public events. In fact, because I'm not a natural evangelist, I need all the prayer I can get. 
But there are others in our church who take up this ministry as well. At the drop-in, at the bookstall at the Isle of Show, and out and about in different social groups right around the island. We must pray for those who are boldly speaking of Jesus. But what is also clear from those readings is that Paul doesn't believe that all Christians bear the same responsibility for this bold evangelistic proclamation that he himself is called to. While evangelism is an essential gifting for all churches, it isn't given to every believer. If that had been the case, he would have encouraged the Colossians to pray for opportunities and clarity for themselves to evangelise as well. But he didn't. Instead, he asked something slightly different from them. This then leads us to the second prong of evangelism. What should the rest of us be doing to share our love and faith in Christ? Well, if the evangelists are to be bold, we are to live lives that are questionable. What do I mean by that? Well, let's listen again. Paul said in verse 6 of Colossians 4, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. So why Paul sees those gifted evangelists seizing opportunities and fearlessly preaching the gospel, as he himself did in the book of Acts, he believes that the contribution that the average Christian in the local churches makes to evangelism is to answer the questions that are raised in the hearts and minds of unbelievers. And with this, Peter agreed with him. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. In the book, Surprise the World, Michael Frost sums it up like this. The believers function then was to pray like crazy and to conduct themselves in word and deed in such a way as to provoke unbelievers to question their beliefs and then enter into a dialogue. So while evangelists are making the best of every opportunity that comes their way, the rest of us contribute by living lives that raise questions. We are to make people inquisitive by our actions and our lifestyle. Our goals and our ambitions in life are to intrigue people. We're to surprise people with our behaviour. And when they ask us why we are so different, we're to answer the question by simply mentioning Jesus. And that is why Michael Frost called his book Surprise the World. It's only when our lives are surprising that anyone will ask us any question at all about what we believe. If our lives look exactly the same as all of our neighbours and everyone else that we work and live with, why would anybody pay any attention to us or want to know more about the God that we believe in? 
So these are the two prongs of evangelism in the Bible. There are the gifted evangelists and there are the rest of us. And we should work like the two blades in a pair of scissors. The evangelists proclaim and then those of us on the ground answer the questions that have been provoked in the minds of their listeners. And we live lives that raise questions. We try to answer them as best we can and then we direct them to the evangelists to help them further down the road of faith. But here is the key idea for the next six weeks. If we as believers are leading the kind of lives that evoke questions from our friends and our colleagues, then the opportunities for faith sharing will abound. And there'll be more chances for those gifted evangelists to boldly proclaim to those people. So the next thing that we need to ask ourselves is, well, what does a questionable life look like? How can we begin to live in such a way that it surprises other people? Well, quite simply, we need to start doing things that our neighbours and our friends and our colleagues would not expect. That is the way that we get their attention. In chapter one of the book, Michael Frost gives details of how Christianity went from a really small group of disciples to taking over the whole of the vast Roman Empire in a very short space of time. And it happened because of the curious lifestyle that those believers adopted. The ordinary men and women, just like you and I, devoted themselves to sacrificial kindness. They loved their enemies and forgave their persecutors. They cared for the poor and fed the hungry. When a plague struck, they went in to care for the sick and they buried the dead with dignity rather than running away to save themselves. They welcomed into their fellowship people from all backgrounds, male and female, slave and free, rich and poor, black and white. All in all, in the eyes of the Romans, they were the most stunningly different people they had ever seen. And that made them curious. They started asking questions. And to answer them, the believers spoke about Jesus, who had shown them how to live this way. Paul also encouraged the young churches of his day, churches just the same size as us, to behave in surprising ways. Listen to these verses from Titus 2. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one maligns the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. 
in your teaching show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Slaves who love their masters, young men who are self-controlled, old women who do not gossip, marriages that are utterly monogamous and utterly committed through thick and thin. These are very surprising things. They were surprising 2,000 years ago and they are still surprising today. And notice what Paul said at the end. He didn't give these rules out to the believers so that they could win God's favour or earn God's mercy. No, not at all. The believers already had all of that. God's mercy comes freely to us through Jesus, our Saviour. Paul gave these instructions so that the church would make their teaching about God attractive. Living this godly life surprises people. It raises questions. And that is what God asks of each and every one of us, whether we consider ourselves an evangelist or not. Our task as Christians then is to start living an intriguing, adventurous, joy-filled life in the presence of those we live amongst. And that is what this book and our next five weeks of teaching is designed to encourage. We're going to try and draw nearer to God, listening to him in prayer, learning from his word, so that our lives become more and more like Jesus. We're going to try and draw nearer to each other, so we might encourage each other to live these surprising lives. And we're going to allow ourselves to be propelled out into the community in which we live, rather than hiding behind these doors. And to do this, we're going to try and cultivate five habits. A habit is something we practice over and over until it becomes second nature to us. A habit is something we do again and again until it forms our character and our thinking. If you want to learn a musical instrument, you practice it every day. If you want to get fit, you exercise regularly and eat well. These are good habits. But if you want to live a life like Jesus, a life that raises questions, then we need to start adopting certain habits. And over the next five weeks, we're going to learn the habit of seeking to bless our neighbours. We're going to learn the habit of eating meals with other people so that we share our lives at a deeper level. We're going to learn the habit of listening to God in prayer so that we can discover the opportunities that he has for us. We're going to learn the habit of learning about Jesus from Scripture. And we're going to learn the habit of seeing our lives as those that are sent out to make a difference in the arenas in which we live.
This is the journey that we're going to go on. But I hope I've said enough to introduce it. As believers, as we saw in John 4, we have this awesome privilege of knowing Jesus. He is the saviour of the world. He is the source of hope and joy in a pandemic. This is news so good, it would be selfish to keep it to ourselves. We may not all be Billy Graham. We may not all be great evangelists. But we can all start to live surprising lives that share our faith with others in really simple ways. And may God bless us as we step out for him. And our prayer is that others on Isla will be intrigued, want to know more, and come to know Jesus for themselves, giving glory to God.